Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, uh, Mr. Pfeiffer. Amazon women on the moon. Featuring Steve Gutenberg, Rosanna Arquette, Lou Jacoby. Where am I? Pretty scary, huh? Ooh. Ed Begley Jr., B.B. King. Hello everyone and welcome to Pfeiffer Fridays where we walk you through the films of one Michelle Pfeiffer and every F word automatically has a silent P. I'm Jerry Downey. And I'm Michael McLean. And today we are finishing our John Landis double feature with 1987's Amazon Women on the Moon starring lots of actors and featuring Michelle Pfeiffer as Brenda Landers in the Vignette Hospital. Michael, had you seen this movie before? Sure hadn't. And when this was on the list, this is another one of those that is definitely not one of those pinging titles in Michelle's filmography. You know, as you scroll through, it's just one of those kind of easily, you've got this, you've got this, Amazon Women on the Moon, yada, yada, yada. You're, it's almost like the one you move on to the next one. <laughs> it's one I almost wondered if we would skip purely because of how this movie is set up it felt like if if we were going to right if we were going to to skip one this this would be it but I'm kind of I'm kind of glad we we did this (laughs) yeah because it's not bad at all to me I enjoyed myself it made me laugh and um I think it did what it set out to do, to be honest. I knew exactly what it was going in. I knew it would be like a mystery science theater 3000, maybe something like movie 43, that movie that came out a while back. Oh, I never saw that. The reviews were so bad, I never saw it. I did see it. And movie 43 is a cruder version of this. This has more of a kind of concept around it movie 43 seemed just to be you know lewd for lewd's sake this feels like it has more of a just more of a theme or just a a purpose it it kind of just felt like a 90 minute 80s snl sketch that that that's that's the vibe i got from it and not all of them land and i'm sure and i'm sure some of them landed in the 80s that don't land now but there were some genuinely funny yeah vignettes and it I don't know if it felt this way to you it felt like the ones that landed for me were very backloaded felt like the last 30 minutes were where the strongest ones for me hit yeah I would agree but can you the back half I would say maybe like around the sketch where they're doing the funeral roast would that be about the halfway point or See, I was fine with that one. My favorite one was absolutely Son of the Invisible Man. Okay. I thought it was the strongest concept. It got the biggest laughs out of me. It just, that one seemed to check all the boxes. The Video Pirates. Or I guess Video Pirates slash Son of Invisible Man. Yes. So it's tough with this movie. There's not really, we can't really give a synopsis with this because it's just a 90 minute sketch show of just little sketches and commercial parodies. 
Right. And maybe to talk about like Michelle's sketch specifically hospital, you know, she and um, her husband at the time. Oh, it's so Peter sorry. Horton. They, they're married in real life when they're filming this and they play a couple that have, you know, Michelle's just given birth. They have their Lamaze training classes that they're very proud of and they want to see their baby and the doctor comes in and keeps on messing with them. Here's your baby and it's a Mr. Potato Head. And it's, you know, it's his, um, his, fist. His, his, his fist drawn with the face on it. And that's, and that's Michelle's purposes. She is, you know, a new mom and she gets a joke to me. Thank goodness you took those um, assertive training courses. I, because I saw your review and saw that you thought she had one joke. And I was just like, what is this joke? I missed her one joke. You did, but do you remember that line at all? No. Well, so yeah, she had one funny line to me. She got one giggle out of me, but it was a reaction shot. The doctor said something. It was late in the sketch. She was completely over his buffoonery and she yeah. just gave her husband this side eye from hell. And that got a good giggle out of me because it yeah. just, it landed. But I, okay, what it, in terms of just ranking the sketches in your head, where would her sketch fall for you? Towards the top or towards mm. the bottom? Oh my gosh, let's see. I'd really take it out of the fact that it's Michelle and that to me, she was the only actor that I think I recognized. I can't think if there is, oh no, the Son of the Invisible Man sketch. I was about to say, I, I recognized Ed Begley Jr. Let me see. Oh, well, there is the post credit scene with Carrie Fisher. Indeed. And that's pretty important. There is the one with Kelly, yeah. Now I'm thinking about this Kelly Preston in the Titan condom sketch. Right, with Ralph Bellamy as the, as the druggist. Mr. Bauer. Um, yeah. Where would I rank it? Um, I think it would be a little bit more towards the bottom, to be honest. Same. It, compared to all the other ones that I thought were much funnier, yeah, this would probably be maybe like, I think there's about maybe nine or 10 sketches in all, like full kind of maybe three to five minute snippets. Right. It's probably like an eight or nine, I hate to say. It just, it didn't go anywhere. No, it and didn't. The, and the comedic driver, which was the doctor, wasn't very funny to me. No, more and more annoying than you know. Right. So that's, I'm, I'm with you in terms of if, if we did okay. say, you know, of the 10, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. with you that it would probably be an eight or a nine mm-hmm. for me in terms of ranking because there are just other stronger ones. I enjoyed the ads more often than not than the sketches at times. David Allen Greer as Don No Soul Simmons just sent me into hysterics for no reason. And then when I was done laughing at what he was doing in the movie, all I could think about was him doing Maya Angelou's Fruit Loops on SNL. So then I would start laughing again. Wait, I have never seen that sketch. Oh my God, Michael, I have to send you that. It's him. PSA to listeners too. (laughs) It's him. If you haven't seen this. It's him doing an ad for Fruit Loops as Maya Angelou, just speaking in poetry. And he just like, Toucan Sam, you leap on the back of the wind. Lodestone to assorted fruit flavors. Phoenix of the dawn's wan smile. We gave you, Toucan Sam, life. 
You, Toucan Sam, give us loops of fruit. Fruity loops. Fruit loopies swimming in the churning, frothy mother sea of milk. Kellogg's appreciates consumer comments. P.O. Box 221, Battle Creek, Michigan, a prism of fruity color, a cornucopia of over 40 fruity tastes. The orange, the apple, the grape, the pomegranate, the quince, the kumquat, the kiwi, the plantain. And it is just, it's, it's only 30 seconds and you're just losing your mind because it's the funniest shit you've ever seen. I've got to find that. I'll send it to you. I'll send okay. it to you after the recording. Oh my God. I don't even, I can't even think of like a, I mean, each ad to me was fantastic. Hair looming, carpet on your head, silly pate. You and I are going to have to disagree on the silly pate. I did you not that. like? No, I did You didn't, didn't like that? Oh gosh, I really liked silly pate. Damn it. No, that's, that's, that's one we're going to have to disagree oh, on. Oh no, I thought it was so stupid and great. But did you like the ad of the Cosmopolitan Museum closeout sale where you can get the Declaration of Independence for free? Did you I, like that I, one? I did, where, okay. where you can add your name. You can get the sarcophagus of King Tut for 20 bucks, a bargain if I ever saw one. Did you have like a favorite sketch out of all of them? Definitely Son of the Invisible Man. Yes, you said. my favorite, yes. but it was a very close second was the Titan condoms, purely because... If you're not paying close enough attention, you don't realize it's a send-up of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second he said Mr. Gower, I was just like, that's, yeah. the guy, that's the guy he works for and It's a Wonderful Life. And he kept saying George and Violet. And I was just like, oh my God, George Bailey is buying condoms. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is the yeah. best. And I was like, this would have never happened with Mary Hatch. No, th- this is definitely pre-Donna Reed, George Bailey. This is this is very much, you know, this is what you do with Gloria Graham. This is not what you do with Donna Reed. Exactly. What were, what were yours? What were your favorites? One that really, you know, because at the beginning you have the classic, like, man coming home to his apartment and everything goes, all those kind of mishaps in his apartment where he opens the can of beer, it sprays all over his face, his tie gets caught in the disposal. And then you have the porn star the, or the kind of playmate of the year send up where she's walking around naked. And then you have the Michelle sketch. And within those like 10 minutes, I was like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm really enjoying this. Uh, you know, kind of starting off your movie with a naked woman, like the, I was like, okay, that's, that's really, that's a lot <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> but then once we got to the hair looming ad, and then the kind of the rinky-dink effects of the Amazon women on the moon segment. Which was just fun. That was yeah. a fun send-up. Yeah. That's when I started to really feel like, oh, this is really giving me my mystery science theater vibes that I was hoping for. Sure. And now I can kind of settle into this. And when we got to the blind date compatibility check sketch, which I thought was pretty brilliant, one of my favorites, that's when I really was like, okay, now I'm interested because I thought that was such a good idea. See, and I'm with you on that because when they started the, the Arsenio sketch, like the unluckiest man in the world, what yeah. the, the the first one, the more that went, I was just like, oh, if this is how this whole thing is, I'm gonna, we're, we're, I'm yeah, gonna, we're gonna have issues. Yeah, it's but, gonna get old immediately. Yeah. 
by the time it started into Amazon Women on the Moon, and I agree with you, and I thought the sketch itself was really well executed, but also the fact that I am unbelievably attracted to Steve Gutenberg. Now, he wasn't the one with the monkey. No, 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 no. Uh, he's the guy in the two IDs, uh, Blind Date. There we go. From Three Men and a he Baby. Is, he is handsome, isn't he? I, I apparently have a huge man crush on Steve Gutenberg. Because we watched Three Men and a Baby not long ago. And of those three men, I was just like, yeah, I know Steve Gutenberg isn't like the star of this one, but of the three, yeah, he's the daddy I would want. He's the man you would want with your baby. Yes, 100%. It's, we, are, we are very much on the same wavelength there because as I was watching it, I was like, <laughs> oh, he's very handsome. I, I would go on a date with him. I, you know, screw that compatibility check. I'd go on a date with him. Yeah, you feed, you feed me that line, you fed 18 other girls and we'll be just Andy, Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> I'm down. Let's go. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not precious about the lines, you know. <laughs> if this is what you've tried out before, you know, no skin off my nose. The one, you know, the one that didn't, there was, I'm looking down my list of the, because I made notes of almost every sketch to kind of refer to. The, the bullshit or not one, is the one that I could have probably done without. I didn't really like that one as much. Whenever that guy would come back again, I'm like, okay. I didn't like the second one, but the fact that they tried to sell Jack the Ripper as the Loch Ness Monster- On wheels. Tickled me just a little bit. Uh, so so the original bullshit or not sketch, I, I was with, but the reappearance, sure, sure, sure. I was like, okay, okay, we only needed the one. The Loch Ness Monster on wheels. Pretty inspired, I thought. Yeah. I thought Critics Corner was gonna be the two of us in about 40, 50 years. I would I would agree with that. I, I think we saw that in our future, much like we would see our future in Statler and Waldorf on the Muppet, Muppet Show. You know, Jerry thought it was a nice and light. I you I, on the other hand thought it was pond scum. I that one actually got one of the biggest laughs out of me for one little throwaway line of the wives. I where... think I know what you're talking Because <laughs> the, the husband's watching them review his life and is losing his mind because they're basically saying his life is useless. And the wife, the wife just says, oh, they didn't like Gandhi either. And for some reason, the way she delivered it was so throwaway and deadpan, but also so earnest that it, it, it yeah, that line got a, a very, from me. yeah, very big laugh from me. Mm-hmm. I wrote that down specifically, so I'm glad you caught it. Um, I'm still just so mad that you didn't like Silly Pate. I'm eating Doonesbury. That wasn't funny to you? No, it was so dumb. It could pick up the comic strip. My goodness, it's okay. I like when we disagree. I wondered if I wondered if we would have moments in with this one. I was like, we're probably going to clash on some parts of it. The funeral roast. I missed Trinity the Tuck. I missed Monet Exchange. Where, Where are was the Valentina? Jokes? Where are the jokes? Where are the jokes? <laughs> yeah, that I think that one was the biggest one for me. Where I was thinking, I bet this landed like gangbusters in '87. Because those are those are comics everyone would know and be expecting the shtick from back in 87. Yeah. And it just, it was one of those that I was just, I felt like that was probably one of the ones that aged the worst. Yeah. And it's like the longest sketch, I think. So it's like the film's kind of centerpiece. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, okay, 
Yeah, and I, I, I didn't recognize, I think I knew who Rip Torn was. Right. Other than that, I didn't, I recognized none of those men. I knew Rip Torn and I knew Steve Allen. And other, okay. other than that, nope. But, you know, they've got the classic, you know, she learned everything about sex from Emmanuel. Emmanuel was their gardener. But um, That kind of, you know. And then some, whatever his name is, Ed Pitnick, whatever was his name was, on the sign outside said, held over second big week. I thought that was a terrific side gag. That, that was a good button on it. I, I will give it that. And then that gets us into, well, we had another, the non-threatening music of Don Simmons, which... Honestly, they could have just kept that, you know. That was the one that I actually, even though he appeared three times, I could have used, I could have used that more. as the connector between every sketch and not have gotten tired I would have of been it. So pleased. Now, did you? I don't know if you know this um, this detail, but so I promise I'm gonna I'm going somewhere with this. So the movie adaptation of Doubt. There, that the second song that Don Simmons does at the piano, I was at a dance when you caught my eye in doubt when Amy Adams is taking the kids to like their dance classes. That's the record that they put on to teach the kids the bossa nova or some dance. And so whenever I hear that song, I think of doubt and Amy Adams clapping. So now I'm going to have David Allen Greer and Amy Adams in my head whenever I think of them. Um, I just I'm, think it was important to I'm share very, that. I'm very pleased we have that tangent. <laughs> because I, no, I, I think I'm paying attention to everything else except what song is playing in that scene in doubt. So I'm glad that you're here for the connective tissue because I really was wondering where this is going because I didn't remember David Allen Greer singing at any point during the film adaptation of doubt. Oh, you Oh yeah, he was, you know, he was the in can- that scene. The cantor. Yeah, he was the, can you remember that? You don't remember that? That's interesting, yeah. That takes us, I guess, after to, to Son of the Invisible Man, which I guess is their most- Just the best. Just really quite, I didn't, and yet the, the gag of it is that, you know, he's not even invisible. He thinks he's picked up his father's skills and it did not work out. And so once he starts unwrapping, himself I, I just great yeah he and I it was already funny enough when he took off the bandages and clearly wasn't invisible and it somehow managed to stay funny when his friend runs downstairs and it's just like he's coming downstairs just just fucking act like you can't see him here again, comes please. the invisible man again <laughs> yeah it that that was one of those there was not there was not a dull moment or a, a groaner in that entire sketch. It was just so well done. Him running around and you know, and um, flipping off, flipping the, the the checkerboard. Ooh, ooh, I'm invisible. Flips the checkers and just those poor people at the bar, just like how many this times again. have we done this? Oh, we really should have done picked another game tonight if I would have known that the invisible man was going to visit. Another. Funny ad, the first lady of the evening. It's fine. You know, a little yeah. bit of a throwaway ad. Easy to read type, no big words. Did you catch that part at the end of that ad? Yes. I was a little peeved that, why couldn't we have gotten Michelle into the Amazon women sketch at some point? I was wondering about that myself because that's kind of where I expected her to show up. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if it was scheduling 
Maybe, yeah, they could only get her in for maybe that one little moment. More, more than anything, because I, this this was a busy time for her. Yeah, it was. Uh, in terms of shooting and film releasing and everything else. And mm-hmm. on top of the fact that a, it was only a year after this release where she and Peter Horton decided to separate and eventually divorce, which was mm-hmm. amicable, but both of them basically cited that the devotion of their careers meant that their marriage couldn't work anymore and and that's why they had to split so it also may have been you know she only has to be on set for three hours to shoot this five minute sketch with her husband and sure and you know help out john landers with his project you know right because that that article the the one i sent you john landers john landis excuse me (laughs) here she's playing barbara landers (laughs) <laughs> lots of lands, lots of lands. Lots of lands. <laughs> but, you know, we had sort of brought up at the end of the end of the night episode, I wonder why she would, or not wonder why, but she obviously came back to work with him again. And we, uh, that article from Elle, where she basically said she just loved how he directed. Yeah. And the quote, the quote she used was, after she and Goldblum went into scene, he would just walk up and say, one of you was brilliant and one of you was shit. Let's go again. And for some reason that's that was a that way of directing that she really responded to so he comes and says you want you want to do this five minute segment she's like sure yeah why not, why not? yeah sure because there were at least five amazon women's segments yeah so, i didn't write down every one of them but um but just split over the course of the movie that seemed to sort of be their through line so who knows? My guess would be scheduling because I I would assume that that was going to be a longer yeah. shoot. Yeah, I mean, um, but this also, is in the middle of some huge high profile stuff for her. So, well, and the other part of that is there were five directors doing various mm-hmm. sketches in this yeah. movie, and yeah. Amazon Women on the Moon was not the John Landis one, or one of yeah. the John Landis ones. Yeah. So that yeah, so could also if, have been a factor yeah maybe if that had been his part of the piece of the pie yeah, yeah. maybe but, but thinking that you know so many people you know we got the bullshit or not guy 10 times you know i just was like oh maybe we'll get michelle again but seeing that you know she was only credited as barbara landers just in the hospital segment i was like i i doubt it but i'm gonna keep my fingers crossed and then i get that it's, it's just so strange how they end they really end the film with this kind of very strange, I guess this leads into the question that I had for you is, you know, if if you could go to a video store and pick out the videotape that says Jerry, what what scenario would you want to have that enacted? One. Man, I just watched that movie and that sketch completely disappeared out of my head. I don't know, but you're right. That That is an odd sketch to go out on. I mean, luckily we have the, uh, the reckless youth, kind of the end credits, the mid credits scene to really wrap us up, but- right. When it ended with the um, with the young man watching the video getting arrested for his participation in this videotape, then the credits started rolling. I said, "Oh, we're we're done. Okay, well." John No Soul Simmons is here to take us out of this movie. Cool. I guess I would maybe want mine to be more of like something theater related. I guess like, I mean, it's such it a, goes it's so film. strange. It is. It goes in it's... so many directions. I'm just like, okay, is this you know, is this just meant to get him? Th- through a Saturday night, like is this the is this what what is this supposed to be? 
Because you start off thinking it's kind of a a porn made for him. And then it shifts into him basically being the other man in the situation and the woman getting killed by the jealous boyfriend who, yeah, it goes on a lot of twists and turns. Yeah. Just a very strange one to wrap this movie up. But thank goodness then we have the, the joyful surprise of seeing Carrie Fisher to really bring us home with. And that's with, the Reefer Madness one, which I it. really liked. Can you, I have heard of Reefer Madness. I've never seen Reefer you, Madness. You haven't seen Reefer Madness? No. Oh, Michael. Bonus episode, perhaps. I mean, at least we have this as a jumping off point if we ever do. So Reefer Madness was 20s. So it, it is originally like a PSA style movie oh. where they are saying, you know, it's, it's anti-pot. And so, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's these good, good Christian kids <laughs> whose lives get torn asunder when they smoke weed and if you allow your children to smoke weed, they're going to, you know, go crazy and run over old men and die and go to hell and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so then in the 90s, they ad- adapted this movie for the stage, which then got turned into the movie version, which is a musical satire of this movie. So it kicks off with the narrator essentially coming in to in the movie it's a room it's a room full of parents but on stage it's the audience and basically singing the title song of reefer badness which is you know pot is bad your kids will go to hell and then it's the story of jimmy and mary who are aw shucks high school sweethearts who get smoked a joint once and their mm-hmm. and their lives go to hell and it's it's hysterical i love that musical I, oh I, I love gosh. that musical so very much, but what they're doing here is very much a, a send up of reefer madness, only instead of pot, it's the unnamed social disease that Carrie Fisher <laughs> has come down with. There we go. Okay. Okay. I was just like, oh, when you came to saying reefer madness, I'm like, okay, what's that? I've heard of it, but I've never, ever seen it. You, you must. You, I really must. You, you must see the musical. <laughs> movie of reefer madness oh gosh i will this sure is different than the sarsaparilla we have back home she keeps on drinking anything they hand her and calling it sarsaparilla (laughs) with no regard for what it actually is and then i think the final site the final ad the the miracle pictures if it's a good picture it's a miracle that closes out it was um yeah i'm glad we had that um last sketch to really wrap things up nicely (laughs) That, that was the correct one, because coming out of the weird videotape, even with David Allen Greer singing us out, it still kind of felt like, schwa? Yeah. What? I'm still, I'm still on Reefer Madness. I'm like, I'm like, I cannot recommend it enough. It was one of those that I think I discovered my senior year of high school and then introduced all of my friends to in college. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was a... That was a good, that was some good bonding material was, was the Reefer Madness DVD. I get it mixed up with the play Sheer Madness about the murder mystery at the hair salon. Very different. (laughs) Very different, but I would get the titles mixed, mixed up in my mind. Sure. I'm like, is that the same as Sheer Madness? Apparently it's not. (laughs) 
I guess there's really no kind of awards, nothing really to talk about this for. Nothing for this one. And it feels like this is kind of a sister or sibling movie to one of John Landis's first ones, which was the, the Kentucky Fried movie. Okay. Which was also like this and was what really kick, kicked him off in terms of comedy. It's the movie that got him the directing gig for Animal House. Mm-hmm. But that was much more sending up movie styles, whereas this one seemed to be leaning more into sci-fi, what's going to be coming on your TV as you're falling asleep at 1 a.m. on a weekend mm-hmm. sort of thing. And while Kentucky Fried Movie got really positive reviews, this one was a little bit more lukewarm. Yeah. Kind of. And I mean, kind of like what we're talking about. There were sketches that really landed for for people and they gave them credit for that. And then the ones that really didn't, didn't. But it, it seemed yeah. like Kentucky Fried Movie had a much better reception in terms of quality of sketches across the board whereas this one was a little bit more hit and miss and this we wanted to talk about this moment in time for michelle personally because she is working on screen with her husband at the time the little tidbit that i thought was really interesting is that michelle at the time that they were meeting or that they i guess at the time that they kind of got together was she was in a vegan cult yes which was really surprising to learn about that she was a member of this and that um i cannot remember this man's name for the life of me peter horton he wanted to call him ted horton so he was her life raft if i'm not mistaken out of that essentially there are lots of quotes from her about that period in her life because they met in acting class for sure yeah and she's very open about the fact that this cult she was a a part of she gave she maintained she was completely brainwashed by their way of life gave them copious amounts of money and said something to the effect of she's never believed in a man sweeping in to save the woman but that's what he did for her was Mm -hmm. saving her from this from staying in this cult yeah i wonder let me see how long did say how long she was in the cult for it didn't say they met in 81 and I would, I would have to assume, I don't know. I'm trying to think because, you know, she was certainly working steadily, but I don't, the way she says that she gave them quite a bit of money makes me think, you know, maybe we're talking near or around Greece too, mm-hmm. but before she gets out, cause that was released in 82. Maybe as she was finding her way in um, TV and things like that. Right. I wonder almost if she could also have, if that bled into Scarface at all, if that kind of, you know, knowing the work that she put in for that movie to kind of get herself to that place where she is as Elvira in that movie. Yeah, I wonder how something like that, when your mind is so consumed by that environment, how does that affect your work? How does that affect your performances? I'd be curious to know where what her headspace was like in that moment in time as she's working and maybe as she's trying to remove herself, start to remove herself from this environment of people with the help of, of Peter. And we can only guess, but yeah, I, I just think it's so curious and interesting. 
Well, and that was that was how they roped her into this was they basically helped her to do all of these quote unquote good things for her life, which was stop stop drinking, become a vegetarian, stop doing drugs, stop stop smoking, all of this stuff. And then, you know, under that guise of helpfulness just took advantage. Control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it is almost seen as a, a maybe a there's a cloak of we're we're we're, we're the nice right we're the we're the nice cult, you know, we're the we're the people who are gonna help you. We're not gonna there was a quote and I should have written it down. There was a really interesting quote about the acting class where she met Peter Horton, how Katsellas, who was the teacher, taught. And he apparently taught her the difference between how an actor responds to what a character is doing and how to respond as the character and what that difference is. Hmm. And I don't think I'm saying it entirely correctly, but it, it, it was that very fine line between almost judging your character and, 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 and inhabiting your character, which is certainly something I feel like we've discussed multiple times about her, her work. I, I think particularly back to when we discussed her performance in something like, like White Oleander, mm-hmm. where you could easily see some actresses probably softening those edges and not going quite as hard on, on Ingrid mm-hmm. in terms of her sort of cruelty and machinations through that thing. And Michelle is Absolutely. just like, nope, we're, we're, we're doing this all the way. You leave, you leave your own judgments out of it. Right. You know, I think even like with, with White Oleander, with Vilma and Hairspray even, yeah. you know, there's no, she leans very much into that kind of despicableness. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that, that's a moment in time for her where she's learning that lesson and she can take that into maybe something as soon as, with Scarface where she really has to make where she really has to lean in this is somebody who on the page can be very you can judge her immediately and you can just write her off or put her in um, a box or just try to sand her down and not make her as I mean, we, we talked about it Elvira doesn't have a lot of depth on the page so, so you know it, it could really become one of those roles where she only stands out because she's the most featured female in the sea of men Mm-hmm. And she gives she gives her more than that. So yeah, I think it's I was, I, I was to say it's like it seemed like it was a good relationship for Michelle. But yeah, just it came at a time when you know yeah her star was rising and and yeah just well, and both of them yeah. both of them got busy because he was on thirty something mm-hmm. there for a while and it you know it feels like it's always sad when people's relationships end in divorce but at least it sounds like nothing went wrong. It wasn't something, you know, steeped in, in hardship or scandal or anything mean spirited. It, it was just, yeah. this, this has run its course. So this is a completely non-Michelle related subject. Okay. But since we're talking about 1987 and we, as you said, we really have no awards chatter to, mm-hmm. to go into for this movie. Who would, who would be your choice for the best actress Oscar for 87? Because I feel like that's a, a very popular year for people to have very conflicted feelings between Cher for Moonstruck, Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction, and Holly Hunter for Broadcast News. Let me look at this. Or if you're just a, a diehard fan of, of Sally Kirkland and Anna or Meryl in Ironweed, no judgment there either. But it feels mm-hmm. like those first three are the ones that people are consistently wringing their hands over. I never could never finish Ironweed, so... It's one of the Merrills I'm missing. 
And it's funny, out of all those three, I have, so I'm doing a Criterion collection challenge mm. this year. Right. And Holly Hunter is, well, Broadcast News in general is on my list. So I've not seen Holly Hunter and Broadcast News. Ooh, I'm very so, excited to hear your thoughts on that one. So right now, um, it's funny, I actually watched Sharon Moonstruck and Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction within this like last six months. <laughs> oh, wow. You know? See? <laughs> you know, if there can be some kind of going back in time, reversing, flipping some things around, I would, you know, let's say by this point, Glenn has not yet won her Oscar. Maybe Glenn has still not won her Oscar. Let's say the, the, the dangerously is- Much like in real life. <laughs> yes. So this is a feeling that we're still familiar with to this day. Um, let's say we take a hypothetical but make it real life. Um, let's see. So if maybe we could go back and give Cher a supporting actress Oscar for Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Okay. We can nominate Cher for Moonstruck and then let Glenn Close win for Fatal Attraction. I love how you're trying to justify taking away Cher's Oscar. Well, I'm giving it to her in another, in another place. It's She'll true. still have one. It's true. Um, that's, really like, that's really like children. That's really like... It's... I can't... It truly... Broadcast News is my favorite Holly Hunter performance. Okay. Of, yeah, of maybe, the ones I maybe see. Once I, maybe once I see... And maybe once I see broadcast news, then it'll be even harder. <laughs> and I think that's the only reason why it's so easy for me to sort of put Glenn third is because I will forever say her Oscar should be for liaisons. Of course. So because I know that I have a performance that I prefer to Fatal Attraction, that's easy for me to put her third. Cher's never nominated again after this. Holly Hunter wins after this and yeah. you know has two other nominations to her credit so yeah i i always land on share and i think that's because i consider moonstruck to be perfect yeah I, I just really do and it's it's i feel like i always sort of fall back on how much i love olympia dukakis in that as well mm -hmm. and she's sort of the one i think about but every time i rewatch moonstruck i always know share is good in it mm -hmm. but then i rewatch and i'm just like Cher is fucking great at this. Yeah. It's always a wonderful reminder for the both of them, for Olympia and Cher. Oh my God. Yes. Um, oh, but that is, that is difficult. That that's. I'd have to look back to find other ones, but it is kind of wild to hit a year where you have what some may consider career best performances from actresses up against each other. I feel like by and large, you can look somewhere else and say, no, actually that nomination is, or, you know, something they weren't nominated for is, is, is their best. Mm -hmm. But for that year between those three, I, I know there are some people that think Fatal Attraction is Glenn's best. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, I, I feel like I, I always see the, the hand wringing over that year. So I was just like, we're in 1987 with no awards in sight for this one. I'm going to ask Michael where yes. he stands. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. I think aside from my reversing time, I think I would still give it to Cher. She's mine. Maybe after I watch Silkwood, I'll change my mind. She's, she's great. Yeah, but still even that's like what you're talking about with it's a great performance. It's nominated, but it's definitely not one of a career best. It's not, it's a worthy nomination, but yeah, it's, it's one of those that it's like, okay, you know, they've got 
their their win is coming. Yeah. I don't even know what to describe that kind of nomination. It's almost like with Marilyn Ironweed or something like that, where it's like, she's, I haven't seen the full performance. So I've only seen up to the scene where she sings her, she's me pal uh, or he's me pal, whatever that song's called. But it does feel kind of like, okay, yeah, she's nominated. She's Meryl. It's the 80s. She's nominated. (laughs) Anything, any other lingering thoughts about Amazon Women on the Moon before we move on to Six Degrees and Michelle Pfeiffer? Um, one of the kind of pleasant surprises in this whole, in some of in the, these last, this kind of lineup so far to me, I think out of, I think if you had really kind of shown me her filmography up to this point and picked Michael, which one are you going to really, that you might find that you actually enjoy despite, you know, that you might be surprised that you enjoy, I wouldn't have picked this one. And it's so funny because then she's so, she's barely in this, but I still, I would agree with you. This this was a pleasant surprise because I was not looking forward to, to this movie. I'll just be perf- perfectly honest. So as yeah. a whole, it was a pleasant surprise. On list of Michelle performances, I'm going to have to rank it kind of low because she's not there. Yeah, I think she's kind of at the, it's the last one for me because it's like even in Falling in Love Again, she's got more to do. But I guess maybe that could be the same reason for Ant-Man and the Wasp. See, an Ant-Man and the Wasp oh. as a film is higher in my rankings, but as you said, for performance, it's it's lower. Yeah. But as a film, like I I put this up there with my response to Charlie Chan or even Hollywood Nights to a degree. Sure. It's it's one of those that I wouldn't certainly wouldn't mind putting up again. There's enough there to to recommend it and it got enough laughs out of me to yeah, I was I was certainly pleasantly surprised. That's my own thing. I was just really surprised by it and that um if you can get your hands on it, I think it's worth to see just to, if you want a little chuckle, if you're looking for that kind of MST3K sketch comedy vibe. Yeah. If you're, if you're in that mood, might be a fun one to check out. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess it's time for the six degrees of it all. Uh, so for any listeners joining us for the first time, we always end our episode with six degrees of Michelle Pfeiffer which is a game we play where we give each other an actor or actress and we have to connect them to Michelle via other films and actors, actresses in six degrees or less. Michael, would you like to give or receive first today? I'll give first. Okay. okay. It's always, this is so funny. This is always the decision. I'm like, you would think you're asking me like, this is always Michael, would you part. like to live or would you like to die? Like it's you weigh the options very carefully. I always see you looking at the document and like weighing the choice in your head. There's like I'm trying to remember maybe what, what happened last time, the way it's kind of fair, that way we kind of can go back and forth, but I never remember. See, I, I'm pretty good at remembering the intro and outro exactly. assignment, but who went first in six degrees, I will never it's remember. Never. So you today, I'm really curious how you're going to do with this one. It's Ruth Gordon. Ruth Gordon. Okay. Blame the Novocaine from the dentist for this one. If it goes wrong, if it goes right, I'm amazing. I'm incredible. I feel like I'm going to have to make a Rosemary's Baby connection because that's that's where I always go to for Absolutely. Ruth Gordon. Now, how do we get there? That's that's the fun part. I feel like it's going to be a Mia Farrow. Yeah connection okay okay so michelle yeah you are on the right track you are going in the right direction 
You were doing amazing, sweetie. Okay, okay, I got there. So Michelle is in dangerous liaisons with uh, Mr. Malkovich. Absolutely. Who is in Portrait of a Lady with the divine should have won that year, Barbara Hershey, <laughs> who is in Hannah and Her Sisters with Miss Mia Farrow, who is in Rosemary's Baby with Ruth Gordon. That's great. I went on the Ruth, I went on the, of course I went on the Ruth Gordon route. I went on the Mia, Mia Farrow route as well. I went with Jeff Daniels, her co-star in The Purple Rose of Cairo, mm. who was in The Hours with Claire Danes, who was in Stardust with Michelle. Jeff Daniels is another one that I'm floored he's not in a Michelle Pfeiffer movie. So I'm also going a little more old school for you this episode with someone okay. I don't think we've done yet. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm giving you Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, let me see. No, we have not done. We've done. Okay, I, I didn't so think funny. so. Yeah, I was like, yeah, we've not done Elizabeth Taylor. Okay. Oh, well, there we go. So, um, <laughs> so Michelle was in The Witches of Eastwick with Cher, who was in Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean with Sandy Duncan, who was in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with Elizabeth Taylor. Love that. It all comes back to, you know, Cher connects us all. This was a Cher heavy episode. As it should always be. For no good reason. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Pfeiffer fans, this has been another episode of Pfeiffer Fridays. I'm Jerry Downey, and you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at jerrydowney913. And I'm Michael McLean, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Michael D. McLean. You can find any and all updates about the podcast by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Pfeiffer Fridays. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. It makes us easier to find (laughs) so we can continue to spread the Michelle gospel to one and all. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you again next week for Pfeiffer Fridays. Please, doctor, it's important to us to see our child. You've heard of bonding. Doctor, we'd like to spend a little quality time with our son, please. A little quality time with your son? That'd be beautiful. You people. Uh, What's with that guy? He's supposed to be the top man in his field. Well, when he brings in little Jeffrey, we're going... Nicholas!